everyone and welcome to the third episode in this very special series, the Toddler Milestone Moment Series, which is created in partnership with my friends at Baby Annabelle. Baby Annabelle is the UK's number one leading nurturing doll brand and is passionate about sharing the power of role play to support with toddler milestones. We've got four incredible episodes in the series covering everything you need to know about toddler milestones. We're covering sleep, nutrition, nursery and siblings and a new one will be released every Monday through September. This third episode in the series is with the brilliant mum of two, child nutritionist Charlotte Sterling-Reed. I absolutely love Charlotte and her message of taking the pressure off mealtimes. If you've ever had a toddler refuse food, love something one day and then hate it the next, or you just really want to make sure that you're setting up healthy eating habits for life, then this is the episode for you. We also discuss how doll play can support your toddler with their eating and healthy food habits and exactly how to do it. So before we get into the episode, I'm excited to tell you that the lovely team at Baby Annabelle have gifted me an incredible package of their dolls and accessories worth over £300. So to enter the competition to win the package, just head over to my Instagram at Zoe Blasky to enter. T's and C's apply. See website for more details. And here is the episode. Welcome, Charlotte. I'm so excited to chat to you this morning. And I'm really, really happy and grateful for the lovely people at Baby Annabelle for bringing us together. So we are going to be chatting all about toddler feeding. Just that small topic. Just that small topic. Not much. But thank you so much for having me on. I'm super excited as well to be here. Thank you. So I thought let's start with your experience as a mum of two, because you often share about how you ought to have had quite different experiences. What were your personal experiences of that toddler stage? Yeah, I mean, they are very different. I've got a five-year-old Rafi and a two-year-old Ada right now, and they are very, very different children. And I love that. But at the same time, it has been really hard navigating, you know, the differences and knowing how to deal with one when you've sort of sussed out the other one. And then you're like, right, well, this is a whole different ballgame. It's almost like starting right at the beginning again. I've definitely struggled with the challenges of toddlerhood. I mean, I think we're really lucky today that we have things like this podcast, that we have support online, whereas before it was almost just totally go it alone, wasn't it? But um, I definitely struggle with the day-to-day, like how do I cope with this? You know, how do I deal with this situation right here, right now? Because I'm a mum, I'm working, I'm tired, I'm busy, and I don't know how to handle quite a lot of the situation. So, you know, my older son, he's very emotional, drop of the hat has a little meltdown my daughter she's in a really good phase at the moment but she is defiant she is like I'm not following the rules I'm going to do what I want to do and so I'm going right how do I sort both these situations out so you know I just think parenting is the hardest job in the world without a shadow of a doubt (laughs) it absolutely is and what about how they are with their eating do they bring those same qualities into mealtimes I think I'm lucky, obviously, in the work that I do, that I feel quite calm and collected about the food and I know the ins and outs of it. But having said that, there have been so many difficulties. I mean, I remember when my son, he was always a really great eater and he hit 
three and it was locked down and I was pregnant and we had so much going on and all of a sudden it's like the fussy eating really started to kick in and we have had multiple phases with Rafi of food refusal where he just hasn't eaten certain foods or whole food groups or just like whole meal times his appetite's been really low but I definitely have learned how to deal with it and I really try and take my own advice which is the whole let them lead their journey let them tell you how much they want they're in control of their own appetite and it's really made a big difference Ada I think is probably going to be a little bit tougher because she is defiant and she does what she wants and she's definitely being picky with certain foods but generally I have to say they both do quite like their foods they eat different foods and in different ways Ada has a small appetite and Rafi generally has quite a big appetite but they are different but I feel like at the moment it's being managed okay and I am just letting them follow their own lead because really that's what it's about in those early years. Let's talk about fussy eating then and food of because I imagine when we think about sort of toddlers and setting them up for life, I know that is one of the things that I've really struggled with with my six-year-old. How do we handle it if they just go, which is what Jesse says to me, don't like that, not eating it. What do you advise? The one thing I would say is you are not alone. It is the biggest question that fills my inbox every single day is fussy eating. My little ones won't take to foods or my little one was eating really well and now is not. It is so common and so normal. So the first thing I try and do is just reassure every parent that this is totally fine. The second thing to say is that variations in appetite are actually really, really normal. Children have so many different things that affect their appetite. So whether it's milestones, whether it's something that's happened at school, whether it's that they're full up on something else, whether it's that they're feeling too hot, too cold, too tired, too overwhelmed, every single little thing is going to impact on their appetite. So one of the things I try and say to parents is try not to label anything as being fussy too soon. Step back and just take a look at the bigger picture and think they might not want food right now because X, you know, he's not feeling very happy or he's distracted or he's got a new toy and he wants to play with that. There is probably another reason going on. And actually, as parents, it's really good for us to accept those ups and downs, accept the fact that there's going to be peaks and troughs in their appetite and allow them to try and lead that as much as you can. So just as reassurance, that's the first thing. But the third thing I think I'm on (laughs) is when it comes to the point blank, I don't want that. It's so easy for us as parents to go, no, 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 you have to eat it. I'm here to nurture you. I'm here to provide your food. I need you to grow and to get all those nutrients. And I've just cooked that meal. And we kind of take it from our point of view. Like we want them to eat this because of all of these reasons. Whereas they're a toddler and they're just going, I don't want it. I'm telling you, I don't want it. They want you to just accept that you know, and for whatever reason that might be. So us actually taking the pressure off and thinking of it from their perspective, they've told me they don't want it. And I need to try and listen to that. So saying, that's okay. You don't have to eat it. And adopting a line like that seems totally counterintuitive to getting them to eat, but honestly can be one of the best things that you do actually adopt. So using that line, that's okay. You don't have to eat it. And then simply modeling eating it yourself. I'm going to eat this because I'm really hungry right now. So if you don't want your food, that's absolutely fine. But I'm going to sit here and eat mine because I'm hungry and I've just cooked this. You know, it looks really delicious. So I'm going to sit here and eat this. That's okay if you don't want to. Taking that pressure off 
your child's first of all going to go, hold on a minute, what's going on here? (laughs) Why is she not trying to coax me or force me into eating it? But honestly, the lack of pressure can have a massive impact on their long-term enjoyment and consumption and willingness to eat that food. So that's just like a really kind of really simple way of trying to navigate and take on those mealtimes. Does that help? Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. And would you serve it again later? So an hour later, you are, this is something that I had the other day, because I do that. Okay, fine. Do you want to eat it? Cool. At the park, mummy, I'm starving. Can I have a snack? Would you give the snack? So what I said in that situation was, you chose not to eat your lunch. So when we get home, I'll make you something or you can have your lunch again. I didn't give the snack. But that was like a sort of meltdown you know, big tantrum. How do you handle that? Or, you know, the thing where they refuse to eat their dinner, get into bed, I'm starving. To be honest, my son, Buffy, is doing this a lot at the moment, but it's a procrastination for him. He doesn't want to go to sleep. So he's like, I'm hungry. What can I do? So the first thing I would say in this situation is, this is very common, okay? And we don't want to offer alternatives because alternatives are a snowball effect and they end up with us constantly offering multiple alternatives and then the food reviews are getting worse and worse and worse. You know, I've seen it multiple times. So ideally, we don't want to offer alternatives. However, what is a good idea is to have a routine. So if we're offering baby a breakfast, a lunch and a dinner, and we have a regular snack in between those times, not all children will need this. Like my daughter really needs snacks, whereas my son does affect his appetite a little bit. But if you do have snacks, They become the routine and the norm. So they are there and they are offered regardless of whether mealtimes or dinner times are eaten. Ideally, we want those to be slightly healthier options. They're not always going to be, let's be honest. But if you can have, you know, let's say, I don't know, I'm randomly making it up, but an oat cake with some peanut butter and a couple of sticks of cucumber or a handful of some kind of baby crisps with a dip and, you know, a little stick of bread or something like that. So if we can try and make those quite balanced and healthy options, they're really great ways of topping up those energy, topping up those nutrients so that if that meal is refused, there is more energy and nutrients coming later. And it means we're not withholding food. We're not saying, no, you can't have it because you haven't eaten your food. We're saying, yes, it's snack time, but it's not snack time for another 20 minutes. So in 20 minutes, we'll be getting the snacks out. So don't worry if you're hungry now, that's great because it's going to come. So we're not punishing them for not eating. We're not offering an alternative, but we are sticking with that structure. And structure and routine around mealtimes is really, really key, especially if fussy eating starts to kind of rear its head a little bit. We want to make sure that we have that structure in place and that that is followed regardless of what is eaten. Does that make sense? Okay, so we've got a really clear structure like breakfast at whatever, seven, snack at 10. And we're sticking to that regardless of what is actually happening in the contents in terms of what they're eating. Exactly. And it doesn't need to be exactly at seven or exactly at 10, but it's just that rough structure. So, you know, we have a breakfast, a lunch, a dinner, and in between them, maybe we fit two snacks and they are around, let's say 11 o'clock or whatever it is, just so that they know when to expect food. They know when it's coming and it's not this kind of grazing or just like eating because, oh, well, I just fancy eating or I've seen a packet of crisps. It's like, okay, well, you've seen those crisps, but actually snack time isn't for 20 minutes. So we're going to have our snack in about 20 minutes. Is it okay for you to wait till then? And that kind of thing because otherwise it can get really out of control especially with toddlers but having those regular snacks helps to keep them top up it helps to give them the nutrients and energy they need and means that if they do skip a meal it's not the end of the world because you know something nutritious is going to come at some point and with those like structured snack times because I know something that I fell into with my first I've actually didn't do with 
Rose and she is a better eater, is I would use snacks as a distraction. So say we were on the tube and she was like screaming it down, I'd be like, regardless of what time it is, I'd be like, have some rice cakes. Would you advise that we didn't do that? In an ideal world, yeah, you wouldn't do that. But I have two toddlers. <laughs> I know that sometimes you have to pull out the food and it is the only way. And of course, in those situations, yes, you know, I do it, you do it, we all do it because actually sometimes food is the only way to go. This is going to be a stressful situation and I know I can control this by giving food. I mean, Ada, she always needed to be topped up in between meals and we do have fairly regular snack time. So, you know, she's pretty regular with when we give her her snacks, but there are occasions where I'm out and I'm pushing her in a pram and she hates being in the pram. She always has. So if I'm on the go, fine, but any longer than like 10 minutes and it is hell. So sometimes I will be like, right, I've got something in my bag and I know this is going to diffuse and calm the situation. Let's be honest, we are mums, we're living real lives and sometimes you need to use those snacks. So please do not punish yourself for doing that. But generally, in the day-to-day, try and fit those snacks into a routine. Try and maybe time those times so that they are around the snack time. But yeah, totally, you know, let's be realistic as well. (laughs) Amazing. So happy that was your answer. In terms of anything else on food refusal, is there anything else that you think is really important for us to hear? Lots and lots of things. So first of all, one thing I always talk about is role modeling. Role modeling is so key for our little ones. When it comes to, you know, nurseries, they've got lots of little role models in nurseries. So often parents say to me they're eating better at nursery than they do at home. But sometimes that's because we're not eating with them. If they're not seeing us enjoying food and being part of that mealtime and eating food and seeing how important food is to us, why are they going to think it's important to them? So if they see us constantly skipping meals when we're feeding them and not bothering to feed ourselves, they aren't going to understand that food is important. And I think, you know, as parents, that's one thing I always try and drill in is let's get them around the table with us. Let's sit there, you know, bring their favorite doll to the table, you know, if that is important. There's lots of dolls like the baby Annabelle doll. Get them engaged in the importance of food so that your toddler learns food is important and sit around the table and have a little meal time together. So, you know, baby's having food and mum's having food and your little one's having food so that they are seeing the importance of eating. And even if that comes along with, that's okay, you don't have to eat it. It's still showing them that food is important. And I do think one of the errors that we make as parents, and again, I hold my hand up, I do do it too, is we don't feed ourselves. And we constantly put ourselves on the back burner, like I'll sort the kids out and I'll just sort myself later or I'll eat their leftovers, you know, so common. But actually they're not learning that food and eating and fueling yourself is not just important, but it's also enjoyable. So take time out, sit down, have those meals with them. You've got to sit with them anyway. You've got to be there preparing the food for them anyway. So give yourself 10 minutes to sit, feed yourself, eat a similar food to what they're eating and Fingers crossed that should make a really big difference. And as I said, if they've got dolls, bring the dolls into it. Give them a picnic with the dolls. Bring them to the table with you and stress that this thing that you love and you're nurturing, they need food too. So let's bring them into it. And I think that can really help to emphasize that importance. So yeah, that's one other thing I would definitely try and add. So lack of pressure, enjoyment at mealtimes, but the role modeling is really key too. And when you're doing that role modeling, would you be sort of saying things like, oh, it's so important that mummy's eating her broccoli because this is making me strong. Would you labor that or is that just trying too hard? No, I wouldn't do that because actually there's research that shows that telling them the sort of benefits 
doesn't really mean anything to them. It's so much more showing, showing that. I mean, yes, absolutely. You can bring some of that into it if they're interested, if they're intrigued, if you feel like they want to know. But I have to say, I've never done that with either of my two. So I don't talk to Rafi, even though I'm a nutritionist, I don't talk to him and say, broccoli is really good for you because it contains X, Y, and Z. If it came up in a conversation or we were talking about it, I talk much more about the enjoyment of that food. Like I really like broccoli. And Rafi will say, oh yes, I like broccoli. And then he'll say, I don't like this. And I'll say, oh, do you know what? I'm not really a massive fan of celery. One thing I'm not really that keen on is celery. And we talk about food, but from that kind of perspective. So as I say, if he asked, if we were reading books and it had information in about growing or the benefits, then I would talk to him about that. But it's not something I stress and try and drill in at all. No. And sort of following that vein, something that I know from following you for a few years that people love about your approach is that you serve dessert, quote unquote, you don't really call it dessert, at the same time as the main. Tell us why you do that. Because I think when you and I were growing up, there was this whole thing like eat that mouthful and then you'll get a dessert. What's the thinking behind putting it all in one place at one time? I love this topic. I love this topic because people find it quite baffling. And it's because we grew up with it not being this way. So sometimes changing the status quo is quite tough to get your head around. But basically, I'm not saying that I never offer the kids, you know, sometimes if we go out to a restaurant, if we're at my parents' house, if there's a party, whatever, pudding is fine. Like we absolutely do, but we just don't have it as a standard day to day. My kids are going to have a meal and then they're going to have pudding every day. First of all, because I don't really feel like pudding is necessary to be having every day. There's lots of other ways you can add nutrients and calories into their diet and fat into their diet, which they need to grow and develop without having a pudding. Second of all, when you offer pudding, you are automatically saying, this is better than this. You're going to enjoy this more. This is the sweet. And it often is the sweet foods. Children prefer sweet foods. So for them, everything is telling them this stuff's better than this. So what can happen and what my son does still now when we go to my parents' house, because he knows he gets pudding there, is they eat less of this or they're less interested or they're less willing to eat the kind of dinner because they want the holy grail that comes at the end of it. I find Rafi will honestly say, I don't want any more of this because I want to save room for pudding. And if we're doing that every single day, that can become a bit of an issue because they end up going, I don't want this. I want to save my room for the pudding. So for me, it's about reducing that hierarchy. So I give all those foods on the plate at the same time. If they're having custard and fruit, if they're having fruit crumble, if Rafi's picked up a cupcake from nursery and he wants to have that, it comes together. So we all have it at the same meal, which does sound bizarre to some people, but it makes a really big difference in terms of they've got this food in front of them. They actually have their own autonomy. You can eat whichever part of this meal that you want first. And I love watching my son do this because he will literally like, lick the icing off the cake and then he'll be like, right, I have some broccoli. I'll have a little bit of these beans. And then I'm going to go back and have a little munch of the cake. He eats as he wants to, like maybe you or I do when we have a plate of food, we go, oh, that cheese, let's start with that. And all oh, that sauce, let me dip a little bit of that in the sauce and have that. We eat with autonomy and we see what we want and our brain goes, yes, 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 going to eat it. So he does that around food and it just helps to lessen that hierarchy of us saying the pudding is better. This is not as good. And it just allows them to, instead of thinking about what's better and what's more desirable, just what do I want to eat in this moment? Which bits of this are appealing to me? And yes, at the start, most kids will go in, boom, I'm going to have that cake. 
and they'll gobble that cake up. But when they realize that it isn't restricted, when they realize that it isn't that you have to eat this first, they actually tend to not do that. But it does take time and consistency. But yes, for the first months or so, they probably will still go in for the sweet, especially if they are used to it. And they'll eat all of that first. But, you know, it takes time and it really can help to kind of shift that hierarchy of them thinking something is better than the other. So it sounds like helping our kids tap into their intuitive eating, like what do I want is really important to you and reducing this hierarchy of foods. What other are some of your big toddler feeding principles? I've kind of mentioned some of them, but I definitely think autonomy, you know, children go through fussy phases and it tends to come for a number of reasons. First of all, growth rate slows. Second of all, they reach a period called neophobia where they're more likely to be a bit wary of food. And then third of all, they want autonomy. They want to be autonomous in their lives and toddlers are seeking that. And that's why we often have quite a few meltdowns. And that's often why we have fussy eating because kids are going, I need to find my own control. I need to get my own independence. And do you know what? I'm going to refuse this meal because that's going to help me do so. So one of the things you can really try and do is offer them that autonomy around food. So things like buffet meals, things like picnic foods, things like Mediterranean spreads in front of them, that kind of way of eating and allowing them the autonomy to help themselves can really help with that. Also giving them A and B options. Oh, we're going to have dinner today. What would you like? Would you like spaghetti bolognese or would you like shepherd's pie? Or would you like beans on toast or would you like some hummus on toast? What do you want? Giving them that autonomy and handing that over to them can really help them to feel like they are having a say and they are getting that part of it. You know, would you like to help me serve these peas and giving them that allowance to have as much as they like. So yes, you can have more if you want that. If you don't want to eat any more, that's fine. It's up to you, your appetite. So autonomy around mealtimes is something I'm talking so much more about, especially since writing my next book, which is the How to Feed Your Toddler one. It's just that really giving them that independence over a lot of those choices and giving them the autonomy to make their own decisions at mealtimes. We decide what goes on the plate but let them decide how much, which parts of that they want to eat. And giving them that ultimate choice at the beginning can also help too. So wherever we can give them that autonomy around mealtimes can really help. And again, letting them see you do that. So we've got a spread in front of us. Oh, I'm going to have a few more lentils because these are really great. I was really enjoying these today. So helping ourselves to things, picking up bits that we want and letting them observe us doing that can have that big knock-on effect. My daughter, both of them actually absolutely love, they call it a serve yourself tea. Mummy, can we have a serve yourself tea? And they love it. Just choose it. You're right, because food is one thing that they can get that control over, right? Because short of shoving in their mouth, which you clearly never do, they do have that control. So it's so interesting to hear that that's where that can really play out and how to just avoid all of that. What was that that you mentioned around a milestone when toddlers naturally become more cautious around food? It began with an N. What was it? It's called neophobia. It's essentially a fear of new foods, but it can knock on to like other foods that they are also fairly familiar with as well. We don't really know a lot. We just believe that it possibly comes because it's a time when children are starting to find that independence. Perhaps on an evolutionary basis, years and years and years ago, you know, kids were foraging a little bit or they were more independent. They were off on their own a bit more. And it made sense for them to be a bit more wary about exactly what they're putting in their mouth. So that is why we think they go through this fussy phase. It makes sense for them to. But actually, for us as parents, all that we need to do is not worry about it, but try and show them. Show them it's safe by role modeling, by offering it, by 
giving them opportunities to try it, by letting them see a variety of foods and by familiarizing them with that food. And then, as I said, other things like not pressuring them and giving them choice and giving them that autonomy. All of those things help. But neophobia is very normal and very common, which is why my inbox is filled with parents who said, my little one's really fussy. So yeah. What ages is that around? It tends to kick off around about 18 months to three years. That's when neophobia seems to be at its peak. However, it can happen at other ages. And it's not to say that if your little one is 10 months and is going through food refusal, it might be that they are being a bit like that as well. We don't know a lot about it, but we do see that neophobia tends to peak between 18 and three years of age. Absolutely incredible, isn't it? And it makes so much sense that at that age, little ones would be wandering off on the savannah. You know, it makes sense that the body would build in a protective mechanism that they would only want foods that they recognize or that look very plain. Exactly that. And that's why we need to show them this is okay. Keep offering it, role modeling, because actually it's natural for them to be wary. But what we don't want to do is we don't want to pressure them to eat. Their instincts are to say, no, 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 I don't want it. So if we're pressuring them, they're actually not helpful. And we're actually overriding their bodies, whatever's going on, telling them they don't want it. Instead, it's role modeling, showing, continuing to familiarize and just helping them see this is safe. You can eat it. But if you don't want to, that's fine. That is going to be the best method to get them to eat it, which goes against what we normally do. And, you know, we've all been there. We've all gone, just eat it. I just made that for you. Or it's absolutely fine. You had it yesterday. You know, it's so normal and natural for us to do that. But actually, it does have the opposite effect. A lot of my fear and when I have done that, like, please just eat it, is fear around nutrition and fear around development. I think if you don't have that knowledge, it can feel like, oh my gosh, like she's eaten a slice of toast and half a baked bean today. Like how on earth is that helping her brain development knowing that, you know, the brain doubles every year up until they're three, right? So can you help calm some of those fears in terms of what do toddlers actually need from a nutritional perspective? I know that's where my fear comes from and I suspect lots of other people do. Absolutely. So first of all, the most important thing to know is it's really normal. And as humans, we are honed in on the negative. So the negative mealtime, the negative day, the day when that food didn't get eaten, and we tend to forget everything else going on outside it. So first and foremost, look at what your toddler is eating over a week or two weeks, not over one meal one day when it's all gone wrong. Because Everybody has those days. Every single person has those days where their kids don't eat something. Everyone. It's so important to try and put it into perspective. What's going on? Is there something? Are they tired? Are they hungry? Have they missed a nap? Because those things will affect whether they want to eat. And so if the answer to any of those is yes, okay, we can just forget about it and just let it go because there's a reason for it. The second thing is to know that children are incredibly resilient. And even in research where children are quite fussy and that fussy eating goes on for a little bit of time, they are very, very resourceful at getting what they need out of food. So most children who are fussy, who have fairly standard fussy behaviors, do not tend to be short on nutrients or it does not tend to affect their growth in the long run. It may do if it's very extreme, if it goes on for a really long time and is very prolonged, or if things like their growth is being affected. These are things that we need to check and they're red flags, you know, so we would definitely go and get further support. If their appetite's up and down, if we're having peaks and troughs in their fussy behavior, if there are some meals that are going in quite well, we really don't need to worry too much about it. And we just need to say, 
kids are resilient. They get what they need. They will soak up the nutrients in the meals that they are eating. And again, looking at that perspective, looking over time, there's lots of other things that you can do to try and encourage them to build up that appetite. And I could be here all day talking about those, but just trying to put it into perspective for you. Look at it over a week or a couple of weeks and remember that kids are very resourceful. And then all of the other strategies hopefully will help you to feel reassured too. What about supplementing? Do we need to supplement our toddlers? Actually, lots of people don't know about supplements, but there's only a few that are recommended. So for toddler age, as long as children are having less than 500 mils of milk a day, which hopefully they are from one year of age, they should be having around about 400 mils of milk. So if they're having less than 500 mils of milk, then they need to be having vitamin D, A, and C. Those are the recommendations from the government. Now, the A and C are slightly under review because actually it can be quite easy to get them on a balanced diet. So if your little one has half a kiwi, for example, or actually it might be a whole kiwi, but if your little one has half a kiwi and half an orange, they will be getting their vitamin C. But the vitamin C and vitamin A are just a safeguard because there are some children who aren't getting enough of those. So the recommendation is vitamin A, C, and D, and they need to have those every day Ideally, you can get a vitamin drops that contain those three, which can be really helpful for your little one. But those we need. Vitamin D is really important because toddlers are often covered up in the sun. They often don't get out there, you know, when you would be getting the vitamin D from the sun's rays. We can't get enough from food. So vitamin D supplementation is really important for toddlers up until they are about the age of five. So yeah, that is definitely something recommended. If you're concerned about their eating being a bit fussy, then there is no problem with offering a multivitamin supplement. So I would definitely say if you are worried, if you're finding your little one is being quite fussy, then you can offer a multivitamin. It's not as a replacement. It's not going to replace a balanced diet, but it can be a little safeguard just to help your little one to top up on some of those extra nutrients. My six-year-old is, like you say, I try not to label her fussy, but she definitely struggles with new foods. So we do a multivit every day just to like put my mind at rest a bit. Do you know what? Sometimes I do. I'd never really talk about this, to be honest with you, but I tend to offer my kids a vitamin A, C and D and a multivitamin and sometimes just a plain D. I often get sent quite a lot of supplements, as you can imagine. And I love some of the brands, but I tend to vary. So sometimes it'll be D, sometimes it'll be A, C and D, sometimes it'll be a multivit. And I just vary between them. And then quite often I go for weeks where I completely forget. So we all do that as well. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I actually made my six-year-old, that's one of her little responsibilities is to remind mummy to do the little vitamin spray every day. I want to move on to talk about things around mealtime, like cutlery, getting down, sitting up. But is there anything else from what we've been talking about so far to include that you definitely want people to know about in terms of food abuse or nutrition? I mean, I think it's really hard because, you know, I could be here all day. There's so much. What I'm talking about so much at the moment is just trying to give that reassurance. There's so many things you can do to help your little ones to eat food, but it isn't about forcing or coaxing or pressuring because that has the opposite effect. So I can't think of anything specific to add, basically everything I've been over. But I think just to highlight and emphasize that role modeling, making that mealtime fun, taking the pressure off those mealtimes, giving them some involvement and some autonomy, basically just trying to calm those mealtimes and make them enjoyable occasions that your kids want to be at. So whether that be, like I said, bringing a doll to the table, sitting together and eating, playing some calming music in the background, having a nice table spread laid out in front of them, whatever you can do to make that calm for them, that's what we want. So focus on that mealtime environment. 
Amazing. And on mealtime environment, I definitely wanted to ask you about sitting up because my two-year-old is like a yo-yo up, down, up, down. And my husband is like, she has to sit at the table. And I'm like, "Mm," we disagree a bit. I'm like, it's fine that she gets up and down. Where do you sit with this, with sort of manners and sitting at the table? And then I want to talk to you about sort of colouring and where they should be at with their milestones as well. So another great question, and it actually feeds into everything I've talked about today, but it is a difficult one because it's going to be very variable family to family, to be honest with you. But the one thing I would say is you don't want them to get down and still be eating. So I think as long as you are having the rule that when we eat, we are at the table, right? We're not running around the kitchen with food because that is a bit of a safety issue from like a choking hazard. You want them to be sitting and concentrating. So my Ada, who is two as well, is crazy. She does not want to sit still for very long. Once she's satiated that hunger, she's like, right, I want to get down. I want to play. And you know what? That is toddlers. And we should allow them that. We do not want to force them to stay in a chair they don't want to be in. Because the knock-on effect to that is they don't want to go back. And the knock-on effect to that is they don't want to have that food in front of them. And the knock-on effect to that is they start to be a bit more picky with their mealtime. So As I said, that mealtime environment being enjoyable is really, really key. So if they don't want to be in that high chair, yes, we let them get down. But we need to have clear rules that we're not eating food, though. Food is at the table. And if you want to get down, you can get down. But I'm going to stay here and eat because I'm hungry and I'm enjoying my food. And it's about just that gentle encouragement. She wants to come back. That's fine. Come back. But again, food is here. It's not being taken away. I think what you'll find, and I've done this with Ada because Ada was exactly the same. It was constantly get down, get down, get down. The more she realized like the food is at the table, we're at the table, the fun is at the table, the more she actually was like, okay, actually I want to come back there. And now she decides she wants to stay there longer. And she actually hasn't done that need to get down for a long time now. And I think it is just consistency, carry on doing it, but really having those rules in place. Like I'm staying here because I'm hungry and I'm eating and I'm enjoying my meal and you can't eat when you're down. So it's up to you. If you want to get down, fine. Get down, play. You can sit next to me, no problem whatsoever. But if you want to eat, you come back and join us. And, you know, you will get there. But that is such a good question. I think that's really, really clear. It's such a brilliant answer. And I love just that rule around if you're eating, we're at the table. Somewhere I find it really tricky is in restaurants where it's kind of like you do have to sit still. Is that a different dynamic or do you let yours sort of run around a bit more in that environment? I have to say, it is a different environment when you're eating out. I mean, to be honest with you, we used to eat out with my son, Rafi, all the time. It was like just the normal. But with Ada, it's like, right, we really have to brace ourselves for this situation. (laughs) It's like, who's going to be in control here? But I still would try and encourage that if you're eating at the table, again, from the safety perspective. But, you know, sometimes we go to like pub gardens and there's like a play area and they are not going to stay in that chair for long. And Ada will literally get up have the food be like right I'm finished I want to get down get back up have some more food and to be honest in those situations we do let that happen a lot more and we're less inclined to encourage them to be at the table but I still will try and enforce that like if you're eating you're at the table you're not wandering around eating with food in your hand which again is easier said than done because kids love to wander around with a cracker and oat cake or your chip or whatever it is in their hands don't they (laughs) exactly you take your chip go to the playground yeah yeah off you go mommy's having her wine (laughs) yeah exactly I'm gonna have a little sit down And what about cutlery? I think there's not much guidance out there, really. And I'd say with my six-year-old, I've sort of really messed this up. I mean, that sounds a bit trivial, but I didn't get her using her cutlery early enough. I think she might have a few sort of challenges with she still struggles with it. When should we be introducing cutlery? And if they're struggling to eat with it, 
how do we handle all that? So it's a bit difficult with cutlery because especially with baby led weaning, lots of parents haven't been introducing cutlery and they have found sometimes that, you know, kids are slightly delayed maybe in using them. But when they're 10, they're going to be using cutlery just fine. And there's lots of role models to help them with that. And nursery and school will all help encourage that. But obviously, we do want them to learn to use cutlery. So I always say at the very beginning of weaning, you know, as soon as your baby tries to snatch that spoon off of you, let them go for it. Encourage that self-feeding. Because there is a lot of us spoon-feeding baby trying to minimize that mess, making sure the food goes in. And it is understandable. But as soon as your baby shows that need and that desire to grab that spoon and self-feed, let them go with it. Grab yourself a second spoon and you use that to feed your little one if you need to, but let them go with it. And then it's really just about carrying on moving them through. You know, most babies will start to work out how to scoop and dip and spoon feed themselves between 10, maybe 14 months of age. I remember Rafi was really good with it and Ada was a bit delayed with it. And I remember thinking, oh, good, should she be doing it by now? But again, just the same with everything, you know, don't compare between children. They're all different. But we do want to give them plenty of opportunity to practice that skill. And we can help them by, you know, I used to move Ada's hands and I'd show her scooping. And you can get bowls, which have got little curved edges, which help them to scoop and have the food fall onto the spoon. And they can be really helpful for that as well. So carry on encouraging, carry on showing, also demonstrating yourself. So I'm scooping. Look at mummy scooping. Oh, got some on my spoon. So definitely like encourage that. Lots of practice. And once they've got the hang of that, then you can start thinking, right, we could try a fork now. You can still get soft forks. I mean, the plastic forks do not work at all. But once they get to about one year of age, then kind of soft baby metal cutlery, as long as they've got that hand up eye coordination nailed, those nice small little fork ones can actually work really well. So you might want to move on to a fork and then you might want to have them, you know, spoon and fork. And then eventually maybe more like two, three, it's the kind of starting to encourage them to use the knife and fork. There's no set ages with this. I have got a blog on use which goes into it in a bit more detail but it really is following their lead seeing when you think they're ready looking at their signs if they're really nailing that hand-eye coordination move on to the next thing and I have to say one thing we did because I used to eat out with Rafi a lot I'm very disorganized so I'd always go out and I'd be like oh god I've got no cup no bib no spoon no fork no nothing and I just have to use what was available and I think that actually really helped him to be a bit better because we were on metal spoons like right at the beginning of weaning and he started using those and then it would be like well I need a fork here I'm gonna have to give him an adult fork and I'd obviously help him support him and monitor him but because I was disorganized we basically had to move further forward with it and he was really really good at using cutlery. I'm disorganized too. I'm like always showing up. (laughs) Yesterday we went to the beach, no wipes, no buckets, no spades. I was like, oh, well, guys, you're just going to have to dig with your hands and you just got to go with it. You've just got to go with it. I'm so pleased it's not just me because honestly, I always feel like I'm the only mum. You know, sometimes we've arrived places and I've been like, I've forgotten Ada's shoes. I've done that. I remember going out for lunch with a mum once and her saying to me, oh, I had a bet with my husband that you wouldn't bring a bib. And I was like, brilliant. Thanks so much. Like I was honestly, you know, when you're like, thank you, that's really made me feel great today. Needed that. But I am absolutely that mum. Every time without fail, it's napkin bib because I just disorganised. I'm so organised in my work life and in everything else. But when it comes to like packing and getting things ready, I always feel like I've left something and I always feel like I'm the only mum. I'm always going, oh, can we borrow some wipes? Oh, have you got any spare nappies? (laughs) 
It's probably because we only have so much mental capacity, right? And yours is probably full up with all the incredible things that you're doing in the world. And presumably that sort of, you know, role playing at the table. Can we do that outside mealtimes as well? Like with a doll, like, okay, well, dollies are going to have their food now. Look at them scooping. Look at them using their cutlery. Is that a useful thing to do outside the moment as well? Definitely. I really love that. And I think Ada is so much more nurturing in that way than Rafi was. You know, I know we talk about the difference between like boys and girls and I know it's not for everybody but Ada is so much more nurturing like she has this baby that she carries around and she loves it and she wants to feed it and give it milk and you know she wants to learn to like spoon feed the baby and so I think you know that kind of thing encouraging that showing that importance of food whether it be milk or whether it be solid foods and the fact that you know babies have this routine we yeah if it works for them then it's going to make a difference like baby needs to eat Ada needs to eat, you know, so we can really encourage that excitement and enjoyment around feeding and around mealtimes. And like I said earlier, I think, you know, baby Annabelle, and I love that. I think it's a really great way of showcasing this importance of food. You know, we feed our baby, we show them what's happening and we can get them involved in that importance of food. We bring food into play a lot with our two. And what Ada's loving at the moment is she goes and gets a little tea towel and she flaps the tea towel out and she gets her dolls and her teddies and she sits them all around and she says, we're having a picnic. And then she goes and gets like tea cups and plates and oh my God, it is so adorable. But yes, drumming in the importance of eating and food and picnics and sharing mealtimes absolutely as much as you can do it. And I love that about, you know, your philosophy is that it's really about enjoying those mealtimes. Like mealtimes are a time for connection, aren't they? And family and friends and enjoyment. And I love that. Just focus on enjoying it. Are there any other, you know, you support, I imagine, hundreds of parents every day with your Instagram community. What are some of the other big worries or concerns or challenges that you see from parents about toddler feeding? So when it comes to toddler feeling, I definitely think, you know, there's lots of concerns around things like making sure they're getting a balanced diet, how to even do that. There's lots of concerns around things like, you know, kids have got five safe foods and how do I increase that variety? There's obviously the fussy eating is a really big one. There's the food affecting sleep is something that I'm always, always asked about. But I definitely would say the biggest thing is the food refusal and the fussy eating because it is so stressful for parents. It's such a difficult thing to deal with and when you're tired and you've cooked a meal and you're trying your best and then it gets refused it's like a rejection of us and our love and our effort and our attempts and it's so hard to separate ourselves from that and realize that that's not what our toddler is saying but it's really hard so I think honestly the fuss eating is the biggest one also things like drinking water that's often something parents come to me with I cannot get my little one to drink water I wanted to ask you about that. I did want to ask you about it because I think it's easy to fall into that rut of offering juice, isn't it? And when I look at the sugars, yesterday I was out with Rose at the beach with no spades and she was like, they didn't have a water that she could drink from, blah, blah. So I got her an apple juice. She would never normally have that. And I looked at the sugar content and I was like, oh my days. I might as well have given her three Mars bars to be honest with you. (laughs) My biggest issues with the drinks The difficulty is once you introduce them, they're fine, by the way, no problem. The trouble is if they are regular, once they introduce regularly, it is very, very hard to get children to want and accept and enjoy and be okay with water. So the odd apple juice, the odd squash, absolutely fine for toddlers, but 
you need to be really aware that if it is becoming daily, regular, something they have a lot, you may end up with them refusing to have water. And I see this all the time. It's really common. So the longer that you can keep water being the normal and the staple, and ultimately that is what we should have. If we are dehydrated, if we need fluid, we need to be filling ourselves with water because that is what it is there for. We don't need the added sugar. We don't need the added sweetness. Those are added things that we do not need. So trying to get them accustomed to and familiar with and okay to drink water as long as you can, the better, because then as they get older, they're more likely to go to water for hydration rather than thinking, oh my God, I need a drink. I desperately need some squash or juice. We do have juice every now and then, you know, I really love the like bitty orange juice. I'm such a fan. So we will have that every now and then, but that'll be something we have at the weekend. Or like you say, if we're out and about, if we're at a restaurant, but you know, Ada is still very much just water. She's not had anything else. That's really, really good advice to have that as your baseline. Like we drink water and I'm guessing modeling that. We can't be saying that if we're having a Diet Coke, you know, constantly. We also do need Diet Coke, yeah. It's the wine that's the difficult one when you're like, sorry, I'm having, I'm having the wine. No, you can't have the wine. Everything's wine, isn't it? I love that around, you know, the baseline of water and then not worrying if they're having the odd juice. So I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? I'm going to say this because I use it as my strapline in my work. But the reason I use it as my strapline is because I really believe it makes a difference. So the one thing I would give to mums, to parents is confidence, because I think we are all so unconfident. We're all constantly questioning ourselves every single day. Am I doing this right? Have I got this wrong? Have I failed? Have I messed up? Oh, do I deserve this? You know, we're constantly questioning ourselves every single day. And it's such a shame. You know, we really need to be more confident in ourselves. And I think we need to be more confident in our parenting journey and in our journey around foods that we know and that we've got this, you know. So do a bit of reading, get your thoughts in place, but then try and go out feeding your kids with confidence because it will make all the difference in the world and that's what I would love to give to parents. How can someone do that if they're listening going yes that is absolutely what I need I need to feel more confident around how I'm approaching how does someone move from where they are where they're sort of constantly questioning themselves into that more confident place? It's difficult, isn't it? Because we all do it. I do it. I constantly question my parenting tactics and skills and the way I respond to my son. So I guess it's filling yourself with the knowledge that gives you the grounding and then trying not to get too caught up in everything else around it. Like, for example, with me, I'm always looking at and reading about behavior and how to, you know, help support Rafi's behavior. He's really emotional. He flies off the handle. You can read too much. So I think having a baseline level that I know that doing this and this and this is likely to help. So I'm going to try and put those in place. But do you know what? I'm going to leave it at that. I'm not going to read too much more. And I'm not going to put too much pressure on because parenting's hard. So if I don't get it right all the time, that's okay. So it's finding that base level that you're comfortable with and knowing that these are the basics that I really need to get into place and everything else around that I can try, I can pick, I can do other things, but I'm going to take the pressure off myself and know that I've got this base level. So I think finding that that's what I do for me now. And it makes me feel much more confident to know that, you know, with parenting, I'm not going to get it right all the time, but actually I'm really trying because I've got this lot in place. 
Exactly. And again, you know, that links back to what you beautifully talked about at the start with mealtimes is just taking that pressure off because then we can be more present anyway, right? Which is what children really need is that presence and the connection. And when we're pressured and stressed, you know, they pick up on that as well, don't they? Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been absolutely gorgeous to connect with you. And you've made me think about so many things as well that I need to start doing, particularly around the refusal, which is very real in my life right now. So thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. I honestly appreciate it. I loved it. It was a great chat and I hope that people find it really beneficial. I really do. So that was the third episode in the Toddler Milestone Moment series created in partnership with Baby Annabelle. I really hope you loved it and I hope you love learning about just how powerful doll play can be. And a reminder, if you want to give it a go, you can win a bundle of Baby Annabelle baby dolls and accessories worth over £300. Just head over to my Instagram to enter at Zoe Blasky, T's and C Supply, see website for more details. And next in the series, out on Monday, it's the sleep expert and psychologist, Lucy Wolf, discussing everything you need to know about sleep and your toddler. It is not to be missed. We will see you then.